Um, good evening. Today is February 7th, and we are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter, our step is step 10, and our speaker tonight is Veronica. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Veronica C. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, I'm happy to be here at this meeting. I'm Veronica C. from New York. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, normally I would give you a tremendous amount of detail about my early life. And I'm going to give you some of that today. But I also want to bring in step 10. So I am going to give you an abbreviated version of my really young life to give you an idea of my early history. Because I really want to stress that, you know, um, growing up, I was not taught about emotions and I was not taught how to identify them. I knew when I was extremely sad because I would cry or I would feel like I wanted to cry. And I knew when I was full of joy because I would be laughing and having fun. But the subtleties of the other emotions uh, like shame and um, some of the things that I think might have created certain ways that I view life, um, I didn't allow myself to feel after a certain time because it was just too painful. So I grew up in a family with seven. I'm the oldest and uh, I was the only girl for a long, long time until my sister came along and she was the seventh child. And um, the first three years of my life, um, we were living with my mom, my mom and dad in Chicago. And um, I remember vividly this one night, which I've often shared, and I guess I'm going to share it again tonight, um, because it's a it is a, a trauma, but it's also a memory of like the uh, what I've endured and where I am now. And, um, you know, I believe that children need to be nourished and they need to be um, protected and they need to be safe. So this one particular night, um, I woke up as a three-year-old and there was my other brother that was there. I, two other brothers that were there. They were very, very young. They were truly infants at that point. And um, I heard crashing on the, uh, on the wall in the kitchen and I ran in there and I saw, you know, my mother had thrown dishes and they, that was what was crashing against the wall. And my father had a knife to my mother's throat. And I remember my mother saying, you know, screaming to go get help, tell them to call the police, go to the neighbors. And so in my little footy pajamas, I ran out onto the front porch. And I guess I must have known where to go. Um, the next thing, the next memory that I have is that it was my uncle that was my mother's brother that was taking myself and my two brothers and my mother away. And um, we went back to New York. And so from that time, I did not have any access to my father, but my father apparently was still in my mother's life somehow because my mother would see him apparently on the sly 
And I say apparently because I had no knowledge of any of this, but I don't know what I was thinking because my mother would become pregnant generally every two years. And um, so when this would happen, I just remember that we were just very happy to have another child. My father would not be around. But one day, and apparently my mother must have convinced my uh, grandparents um, to allow him to come because nobody in that extended family wanted anything to do with my father. And I remember being in a, a car with him as we were sitting in the driveway and he would like to read the Sunday papers. So he was reading the Sunday paper and I heard my uncle coming into the house and he was saying, where is that guy? You know, that he didn't like him. He didn't want anything to do with him. And I just remember the my father's reaction. It was like he was disturbed, but at the same time, he didn't want to face him either. So on this particular, it must have been around the same night. Uh, I was about nine years old and uh, there was a ruckus in the upstairs in my parents' bedroom. And I didn't know what was going on. I was in a totally separate room. And all of a sudden I, you know, people went downstairs. I went downstairs and I looked out the front window door and I saw my father with a gun and with my grandparents lined up and my mother, and it was the dead of night. And I ran to call somebody on the phone, probably the police, and the phone wires had been cut. So I, the only thing I remember next is that my father had left, no gun went off, it was just big threat. And um, I never saw him again. And so that was kind of my upbringing. And because of that, I had a very strong abandonment issue. Um, to the point where thinking about myself was not an option. Um, I was, I think I really grew up in a stress response and I was thinking of other people. And so that brought me the greatest joy was to take care of others. And that's what I did, taking care of my brothers, taking care of, of my mother in whatever way that I could do as a young child. And I actually had a very loving mother but she was extremely, um, she had distorted views of what a relationship could bring to her. And so um, this was my life. And I managed to uh, have a really wonderful school experience because I loved school. I loved learning. I excelled. And, but I was very, very shy after a certain point. I just kind of hit a little bit. But I think that, um, you know, a lot of this was due to the fact that I didn't feel worthy of much. I didn't feel like I really had a voice and I didn't really feel like uh, I could really, you know, be the person that I felt I was inside. And at that point, I didn't even know who I was. I was just having feelings of wanting to do things and being feeling like I had to be held back. And uh, I had a big fantasy world at that point where I saw myself doing things that, um, that I would become when I would get older. So 
that was my childhood growing up in a very strong Catholic upbringing. And, um, you know, my family had, uh, you know, we went to Catholics, we went to like into catechism and we went to church every Sunday. And, um, a lot of our, a lot of our friends and family, we would gather together. We had frequent parties at our home, which I loved. We would play instruments. We would sing. There was a lot of fun that happened in my childhood, but it was mixed with all of that undercurrent of not feeling good enough and feeling like I just could never excel. And I tried, but I just never felt, even though in my way of trying as a young child, um, I think a lot of it was perceptual too. You know, I just had all these feelings that had been trapped. And those feelings uh, to a degree poisoned my mind and they poisoned not my heart so much because I always felt very um, loving and accepting, but I always felt very hurt too because I felt misunderstood. So I spent a lot of time crying silently as a child. And, um, but that didn't stop me from loving or from wanting to, you know, feel that I could be loved. Um, I just didn't know how to make that happen. So we'll fast forward a little bit. And I will say that, you know, as I got older and I studied um, metaphysics for quite a few years, um, and I really thought that uh, the metaphysics was the answer because it it had a God, but it didn't have a defined idea of what a God was. It was whatever I wanted it to be. It was uh, a Christ consciousness, you could call it, because they did speak of that. But it was um, my idea of a of a higher being was <clears throat> the divine. And I always referred to it as a divine and I didn't like the word God. I don't know why. I think it might've been from my upbringing. And uh, even though I did like a lot of the uh, things that we did as children in the church, but uh, I just didn't like that anymore. I turned away from it and I was exploring other spiritualities. That's so, okay. So uh, thank you for that. Um so I went into um, other areas of my life and I traveled and lived in Europe a lot and other areas that I really felt that I wanted to explore. And I, I had, you know, um, some things that really changed my mind about how I wanted to live my life. So with that, I'm, I'm going to step out of that story and I'm going to go into um my idea of step 10. And um, I'm going to read this because I, even though we all know it, you know, step 10 is continue to take personal inventory. And when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Um, when you were wrong, oh my gosh, that's like a big, big thing. And it says um, here in the big book on page 84, continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these come up, we need to ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with somebody immediately and make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone who can help. 
Um, for me, step 10 is a pain reliever. Now, I really felt that I had a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, I don't, I don't know if the word is education, but I was very educated in the world of feelings. And, um, when I got older and I was studying and the things that I would do, uh, in my studies really helped me a lot. And plus I had a terrific therapist and that really helped. But, um, to learn about the world of feelings and to allow myself to feel um, like I had mentioned earlier was still sometimes the big feelings. And I could have some of those more subtle feelings when I was in a therapeutic environment, but let's face it, you know, it's like when you go through a lifetime of many years of doing something, it takes many years for that sort of behavior to unfold and to allow yourself to be able to have um, the bigger picture because the bigger picture keeps unfolding as long as we allow ourselves to uh, continue to take our personal inventory as I learned when I got into the 12 steps and, um, and really taking responsibility. Um, it, it's not easy to take responsibility, but that's what this 10th step really does. And it helps me to, um, think about living a spiritual life. I think that's what the 12 steps are all about is learning how to live a spiritual life. And that's what I'm devoted to these days is living a spiritual life. And how do you do that? Well, if you do 10, 11 and 12, and for me, step 10 is that pain reliever. So I, when I was, um, when I, cause I had been in OA for many years and um, I had been sponsored by people. Uh, I went to a lot of meetings in Manhattan and in Brooklyn. And, you know, I just never really quite got it, but I got myself sponsored. I thought they were nice people, but it really wasn't until I got into um, Vision and then a, another meeting, Scottsdale, and then subsequently I found a sponsor. And we were doing step 10s as we were going through those steps. First of all, I was amazed because I had hit a rock bottom before I started doing the steps that time. And the rock bottom was, I couldn't live my life anymore the way I was. It was just too painful. It was like the racing thoughts with all the food thoughts or the racing thoughts with, I don't know what to do next, running to the refrigerator to think about something that maybe I wanted to eat. And first of all, I really never wore the weight until after, way after I had my daughter and food was never calling me as a young person. So I did not have that experience, but at this point in my life, I did. And I know that it is because I have a spiritual malady, but I also know that it's because I have an allergy and I have a twist of the mind. And um, for some reason, it this came full blown uh, a couple of years after I had my daughter and um, the step 10, when I got into this program was the only thing that really helped me. And so backtrack, I was with that sponsor. We went in to do the step 10 and I was like, I don't have anything at all that I'm upset about. I mean, you know, and for me being upset was like having a big feeling or, you know, having something that I could easily recognize. And, you know, I, 
I saw things that were, I thought maybe needed help in my life, but I didn't really feel that there was anything that I had any issues over. So the first time that I did the step 10, I really had to, it's almost like faking it until you make it. But I had to pick something that I was like slightly annoyed by, which I, in my mind was not a step 10. And it was um, being in a, um, in a line at, a, at a, a department store and the cash register at the cash register, the person that was doing it, she was like, you know, talking with somebody and she really was taking her time. And then somebody else was chatting with her and, and she didn't really seem like she was moving along and I had somewhere to go and I got very annoyed. I mean, I stayed there and I did what I, what any sane person would do. But in my mind, I was like, what in the world is going on here? So I said, I'll do that. And I started to do the, the, the steps and I had to do them every day for, you know, every single day while we were doing the steps at that point. And all of a sudden it hit me one day that, oh my gosh, what's happening here is that there is a bigger picture being revealed. The more that I do these 10 steps, the more that I talk to somebody about my feelings and what's going on. And the more that I look at, at this picture, I'm beginning to see that there were things underneath that. And for me, a lot of it was abandonment. I had a tremendous amount of fear. And because I always behaved, I would say, uh, you know, very controlling. You know, I wanted everything to be done my way, especially after I had my daughter and I became like a helicopter mom. I was hands on and I was just, you know, I believed that I was responsible for having her um, develop a, a, an anxiety disorder because, you know, I was just in every aspect of her life and I didn't really get that it was like um, suffocating. So uh, as a mother, I was learning that it wasn't just being a, a mama bear, but it was like allowing somebody to, to grow. I didn't know how to do that because I had to grow up so fast. I had to learn to live like nobody's business. I had to make my choices. I had to do the right things. I had to be sure they were the right things. And so um, this 10 step played a role because the more that I did the 10 steps, the more that there were all these layers that were there that were starting to come off and I was starting to see more of my defects. And um, I don't like to even call them defects. I think they were defenses because when I was younger, that's what I needed. But now, as I was healthier and more aware and starting to see things and feel things, I realized that I don't need them anymore. So this is a lifelong process for me. And um, I'll just go over very quickly about what I think about, you know, the, um, the selfishness is generally always the script that that person didn't follow. The resentment is the act of whatever it is that I believe was, you know, creating that distress in me. And the um, uh, the dishonesty is the story that I'm telling myself. And I feel that a lot of people that I know get um, confused by that word dishonesty and they start seeing it as like, you know, they were doing something that was dishonest. But the whole idea is what do, what's the story that you're telling yourself 
about this person or this situation. And that's how I always couch it for myself. And that really helps me. And then when it comes to the fear, I generally look at that is what am I afraid that will happen to me as a result of what this uh, situation is? And it's not that, um, you know, sometimes it gets relayed as um, the fear is uh, it's kind of removed from a person, but it's not. It's really my fear. And to me, that brings me a, a, a tremendous amount of satisfaction. When I get through that, I do get a bit of relief. Now, I will say that it's never just a one and done all the time. Sometimes it can be, but you might have to do more than one and you might have to go a little bit deeper. And that's why I choose people that I really find that are safe, that I can do a 10 step with. I just don't do a 10 step with anybody. I only pick people that I really feel that I can really talk honestly with, because if I can't do that, if I can't be honest about what I'm feeling, how am I going to share that 10 step and really get relief? I've got to get underneath that. I've got to be able to own those feelings. I can't pussyfoot around with saying, well, you know, she kind of did this and it was, you know, no, 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 no. I've got to really say I couldn't stand her, you know, whatever it is that may not seem in my world very nice because I always want to be nice. That's um, I have to do that. And um, I've got like two minutes left, right, Chanel? Okay, so um, the 10 step is really a cornerstone for me. And when I sponsor people, I tell them that, you know, the last five days of us working together is all about doing 10 steps because I want to make people 10 step athletes. Because I think if you know how to do a 10 step and you get used to it and and you feel confident with doing a 10 step, then that's really going to go a long way because you're uh, releasing the things that are trapping you. And that's really what I ate over. What I ate over is all the feelings that I couldn't allow myself to feel or express to somebody. I had to like either push them down with food or some other means, you know, like shopping excessively or something. But it was always the food that was first until the food became a problem. So uh, I just want to encourage people, if they're not doing 10 steps, give me a call. <laughs> I'll work with you on that. I love it. So um, I think with that, I'll pass. And thank you. Sorry, I couldn't unmute. Thank you so much, Veronica, for that wonderful, very detailed step 10 share. I really appreciate hearing you. Um, okay, we will now open the meeting for questions or for three-minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and the step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or step nine if you're on the phone. I will call the raised hands in order and the Zoom host will ask you to unmute when it's your turn. Would the timekeeper please set a timer for three minutes for each chair and announce when time is up. If the speaker is asked a question, please allow three minutes for the answer. Um, okay, let's see here. Oh, Chanel, go ahead. 
Hi, thank you. I'm still Chanel. I'm still a grateful compulsive eater. Let me make sure my timer's going. All right. So Veronica, thanks. I was really looking forward to hearing you. I I knew going in as one of the speaker getters, it was either 10 or 11 that I wanted to get you for, like either one of those. So thank you for choosing 10 and coming tonight. And um, I wanted to ask you because there seems to be some confusion in the rooms a lot of times. There's the nightly review. And some people do that as they're 10. And when we're working out of the big book, we don't. If you could speak to that a little bit as to what that is, that that nightly review versus the 10 step. Thank you so much. Thank you, you're muted. Oh, Veronica, I think you're still muted. Sorry. Okay, I guess I'm okay. Now I'm not. <laughs> The only place in the nightly review where it says to talk to somebody is if you have to make an amends of some sort. And um, it's really, it is a whole different ball game because step 10 is about going into um, not only the, the harm that you created, but the specifics behind it. And uh, in my mind, you know, and then of course you have to go and you have to give uh, something to somebody else. So to me, that differentiates differentiates that I don't have any problem with understanding that that step 10 is that pain reliever for me and that that is why I need to do it as quickly as possible if I can after something has occurred and that I'm being triggered. And um, because that's the point where I'm going to have the most ability to be able to really release that emotion and when I'm doing the nightly review, for me, uh, the nightly review is I might look at something and realize if I needed to make, you know, apologize to someone, need to make some kind of amends. But in my mind, the nightly review is all about just, just that. It's about reviewing my day and it's about seeing what I might have been able to make a different choice or done maybe in a different way. And it's always about blessing those that are in my life. And that's how I differentiate it. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Veronica. Uh, Jim H., you're up. Hey, everyone. I'm Jim, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, thanks so much, Veronica. I really appreciate your share. Uh, I guess I'm curious. Well, yeah, I liked what you said about, like, the training and, and the 10th step. Um, I'm curious what your experience and kind of training around. Um, I feel like there's a lot of pretty irrational fears that I need to tense up and I'm not always sure. Like there's, I feel like if there's kind of bigger moments when I might've harmed someone and calling and doing a tense step on that makes sense. There's a lot of, stuff that I get caught up on that is just honestly like not real, but I am caught up on it and it can drive me deep into my defects. Um, I'm just wondering how you would suggest working a 10 step on that. And um, like when also when some of these feel like repeat defects that like I know are there and are just going to take a while to work on. Um, so yeah, I guess like the two questions with that is how would you work on that? And like, what point 
do you need to call someone versus surrendering it directly to a higher power? Well, in my mind, it's always about calling someone because I can fool myself easily if I, because, you know, there is a tool in the toolkit where, um, you know, I can uh, write down, you know, a spot inventory and just put those things in, in uh, some kind of a written format and, you know, just turn them over to a higher power. But I have to say that it's talking to somebody that I trust. And I, I don't use that word lightly. It's important for me to feel safe with somebody when I do this. Um, not all step tens are alike, but if they're really, um, you know, if they're really triggering steps for you, I mean, really triggering, uh, moments for you, then, you know, I have to be, I have to feel like I'm safe. And so I will always make sure that that person is somebody that I really want to do that with. But then also, uh, when I, when I do the 10 step, I could never just do it without calling somebody to me. That's not really a 10 step. And then I go and help someone. So there's always a beginning and an end to it. Like I'm receiving God's help from this, but then I am then taking God's message or divine's message or whatever I want to refer to that higher power. And I'm sending that out to another person. That's really important. If something keeps tapping on my window, then to me, I have to go back and do a fourth step on it because there's obviously something where maybe I'm realizing more layers to this process than I recognize when I did the first fifth step. And so it just takes time. So I would say that, you know, for me, always doing the uh, 10th step with someone is vital to be able to see yourself so that you don't fool yourself, meaning that I don't fool myself. And then also, um, because, you know, you really want to have the other person's um, voice because a lot of times you will hear what you're saying and it can help you to get down to more of the process about what's really going on. And then of course, if it keeps knocking on your door, then you do a fourth step. I hope that helps. Thank you, Veronica and Jim, for the question. Leslie G., you're up next. Is it letting you unmute? It's not. There we go. Thank you. Hi, family. Leslie G., gratefully recovered only for today by the good grace of God. Um, Veronica, thank you so very much. I loved how you called it my pain reliever. And I was like, ah, yes, absolutely. Um, I didn't get what you said. I, you know, I understand dishonest. It's the stories that I'm telling myself and frightened. But what did you say about selfish? It's a script. It's the, the person is not following my script. Um, that's the way it was placed to me. And that really works for me because that means that they're not doing what I want them to do in Veronica's world. Like if I had the ideal world, they have to follow my script. They have to do it my way. And if they're not doing it my way, that creates a resentment or a harm of some sort that I feel that I've been harmed, you know? That sounds awesome. 
Yeah. And would you put your, your number in the chat? Oh, yeah, of course I will. Thank, yeah. thank you so much, hon. Thank sure. you so much, everyone. Okay, thanks, Leslie. Jojo, you're up next. Jojo? Hi, thank you so much. Um, my question is, how do you forgive yourself for the... Um, oh. Yeah. How do I forgive Can you? Can you hear me? Yes, but how do I forgive Hello? myself? Hello? Yeah, how do you forgive yourself for the harms that you've done? For the harms that I've done? Well, that's part of what I feel that the fourth step Hello? can do. Can oh, you hear sorry. me, Jojo? Yeah. Okay. I feel yeah. that that's part of what the, uh, the when I do the fifth step, that's what helps me because I understand my part in it. Um, and then another thing with forgiveness is that taking responsibility and making amends. That's how I forgive myself because I know that I'm human. It took me many years to recognize that I'm human and that I can make mistakes. And, uh, you know, recognizing that was very freeing for me. And, you know, the more that I grew in my consciousness in my awareness in my spirituality uh the more that i could see that um i'm human just like everybody else you know and uh so it's easier for me to understand that there is a forgiveness component in this entire program i mean it's a program of self-love and it's a it's a program where we have to learn how to do that because i know that I didn't learn how to do that. I mean, I, I had a lot of self-hatred and uh, if I didn't have that, I was always running from that feeling. So to me, it's, it's a process of those step tens and just continuing to work, you know, um, 10, 11 and 12, giving it away too. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Rachel Y, you are up next. Hi, everybody. Hi, Veronica. Hi. My name is Rachel, and I'm a compulsive overeater. So nice to hear your share. Thank you so much for your service. Um, it really resonated with me when you were saying about like either knowing you were happy or sad and not knowing any other emotions. Um, I've been like this emotionally dysregulated, like my whole life up until like about three years ago. Um, and I loved the part that you shared about therapy too. That was really helpful. Um, I'm on my fourth step for the first time and I'm having like a really hard time with um, traumas, especially in childhood when I can't really see um, my part in the situation. So the only reason I'm asking, I know that you're talking about 10 steps today, but clearly you you had experienced a lot of trauma and I'm just wondering if you could speak to like in a 10 step when like somebody that has nothing to do with that trauma, like triggers that, that, um, that pain for you, like how, how does that work? Like if you don't mind sharing, if you did like a four step for your father and like made an amends or something like, well, does I, that come up for you? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, Thanks, it Ronica. has, it has, because I, I really loved my father and I thought he loved me and he left. So, uh, you know, I realized one day, and this was after doing the program for a while, the way I'm doing it now. And, uh, one day I just realized that, and believe me, I only have one picture and a tiny little picture. And I have a large picture of my father that I managed to get from my mother. And I never, I never framed it. I never wanted anything. I never thought about it. And when I, all this one day, I just started to cry and I realized that I loved him. And I realized that he was a human being. He wasn't all bad. And he wasn't a murderer, but he was a scared human being. And uh, he didn't know how to live his life either. And he was an alcoholic. And uh, I forgave him at that moment. And believe me when I tell you that, I never even thought that that was even possible because I didn't even realize the extent to what I felt for him. But at that moment, I felt all of the feelings and I was able to just release it at that point. And that was from doing the step work. So I say that, you know, when you do a fourth step for me anyway, I try to, you know, when it comes to a trauma, um, that can be very tricky. And now I know you also say, look, what do you do if you're triggered by that and you want to do a 10 step? Well, you're being triggered. So it's not that other person's problem. It's really you. And um, that's what you have to look at. And like I had to look at lot, a lot of my uh, triggers were about abandonment. And um, every time that uh, I would even think that anybody would leave me or not include me in something or, you know, because, uh, you know, abandonment can look different ways in different situations. But I realized one day through working the steps that all that was, was just about my father. It was about him leaving and uh, never coming back and me never seeing him again. And so, you know, the repetitiveness about um, the 10 steps is really important because it's like flashcards. The more you do them, the more you retain. The more you do 10 steps, the more that you're going to release those layers and layers and layers that have built up over the years. And if you've been, if you've been living any life at all, you know, for many years, it, it takes time. It's not magic, but then all of a sudden one day it can be gone and that feels like magic. I hope that helps. Okay, thank you. Um, we are now going to stop the recording for unrecorded questions or share. With a Zoom host, please stop recording.